Um, today, though, we get to conclude our, our current series for the summer called Two, where we're talking about the ways God calls us to participate in the work God is doing in the world just as we are, our brokenness, our faults, and all. Um, and we're finishing the series appropriately with something that is pivotal to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and that is prayer, our conversation with God, our relationship, our fellowship with God. So friends, I invite you to uh, listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 11th chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the very first verse. He was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me, the door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you, search and you will find, knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if your child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. As parents of young children, Marie and I spend a lot of our time teaching our children the ins and outs of life, of the human experience, what it means to be a person living in this wild and crazy world. The temptation is so often to just do something for them, to fix something they're doing before they make a mistake, or even worse, make a mess. Yet these little mistakes, these little messes, are how they so often will learn a lesson that they'll remember for so much longer than if I just step in and do something for them. In fact, some personal finance experts say that the main reason to give a kid an allowance is so that they can make small mistakes with money so they'll know better once they're on their own. But some things, from tying shoelaces to making their own breakfast, take just a little bit of hands-on teaching and training. As the old saying goes, if you give a person a fish, you feed them for a day. If you teach them to fish, you feed them for a lifetime. Here in our passage, Jesus is asked by his disciples to teach them how to pray how to talk to God, how to be in relationship with God. And he does just that in what we know as the Lord's Prayer. 
something I know I even take for granted now and then because it becomes such a memorized ritual rather than a powerful commitment in relationship and fellowship with God. Many of us growing up in the church memorize the Lord's Prayer, yet when we read our passage today, we might be a little struck by Luke's version of it. It's shorter. It feels almost abrupt in its cadence. So the Lord's Prayer we know, friends, and say each week in church, and we'll say a little later in the service, is really a conglomeration of a few things. Primarily the King James translation of Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, with a little bit of Luke's, but also combined with the second century document known as the Didache, or really the church's earliest known worship book. This week when reading Luke's version, I found so much beauty in its simplicity. Like a fine chef who seeks to find quality ingredients and create a dish that doesn't do anything more than allow these ingredients to shine on their own right. I think Luke's simplicity here allows us to think for a moment about the essence of the Lord's Prayer, of the prayer that Jesus teaches us to teach us how to do the very act of praying. And it really is the foundation of every prayer, we say. So this prayer simply begins with Father. We may overlook this and not think too much of it because we say it so often and it's become so part of our understanding of prayer. But here Jesus teaches us to pray and teaches us to talk to God and address God just as Jesus himself does. We can address God as Father simply because that's how Jesus addresses God. Through Jesus we know God not as this distant, far-off deity but as a loving parent. It's a powerful word to root your prayer in addressing God as Father. It's a reminder each time that we are God's children, that we are part of God's household. It's the same thing we get to say to kids every time we present a new child for baptism. To say, you are a beloved child of God, that you belong, that God loves you. The prayer continues with, hallowed be your name. Also, another phrase you might just kind of throw off um, and not think too much of. But here we see that after addressing God as loving parent, this prayer is rooted in understanding that God is holy, that God is powerful, that God is good. Hallowed, holy, sacred is your very name. Your kingdom come. It's a way of addressing God's reign and God's realm. It moves us beyond ourselves and our own biases, our own desires, our own needs and wants to align us yet again with God's kingdom, with God's work, with God's love, with God's justice at place among us here in our world and someday in the kingdom to come. The prayer continues, give us each day our daily bread. Give us what we need. No more, no less. Give us enough. Help us to be content with having enough. And forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. 
It's an acknowledgement of our own wrongdoing, our own brokenness, our own need for grace and love and forgiveness. As forgiven sinners ourselves, we are to strive to forgive others, to extend the same kind of mercy to each other that God extends so freely to us. God teaches us here how to forgive and show mercy because we ourselves are forgiven. And do not bring us to the time of trial. This is the line that our, our traditional rendering of the Lord's Prayer is, is most at odds with, uh, with the actual biblical text. Uh, we usually think of it, deliver, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, but really this, this idea of save us from the time of trial, save us from trouble, save us from struggle, it's an acknowledgement that bad things can and will happen in the Christian life. But that even if they do, God is right there with us in the midst of it all. And the prayer is short, it's sweet, and it ends right there. Jesus will go on in Luke's version of this to tell two short parables, that each of which um, really emphasize the power of asking, saying how important prayer is because it is our way of asking God for what we need, what we want, what we're striving for. These parables together simply emphasize the need and the power of asking God for whatever's on our hearts, whatever's on our minds, whatever we feel in need of or in want of in this world. Unfortunately, some of our brothers and sisters in the church in the prosperity gospel movement have taken this to the nth degree, saying that whatever you ask God, God will give it to you. Whatever you want, no matter how foolish or out of sync with who God calls us to be as God's children, if you ask for it and you're holy enough, God will give it to you. Friends, this is not a blanket yes statement from God. But rather, this, this idea, these parables of asking show that it is okay to bring up anything to God in prayer. The caveat, and if you look at the wording, it's very carefully worded, the caveat is that God's answer to these prayers may be well different than what we would prefer. Yet it is a promise. This importance of asking is a promise that God will hear every prayer, every want, every need we lift up. God will hear that prayer and work to give us and bring us peace through that prayer. It's no secret, secret, friends, that prayer has received a little bit of a bad rep lately, considered by some outside of or even within the church as a bit of a cop-out. That prayer is a cop-out to actually participating in the work of God's reign of justice and peace. Sadly, as a pastor, I think these folks often have a point. Too often we as Christians disconnect prayer from action. We have this way of disconnecting the spiritual from the actual. That prayer is somehow dislodged from what we're actually supposed to do. But the beautiful thing about the prayer our Lord teaches us, is that he not only teaches us how to pray, but he calls us to pray. It's a very important distinction. Jesus not only teaches us to pray, but calls us to pray. As a pastor, I know that prayer is a 
pretty big part of my job. Um, and uh, from family gatherings to church committee meetings and all the same, I am usually the default prayer when it, when it comes time. And while I, I don't mind doing this by any means and consider it an honor to, to get to be the one to pray, to invoke God's name, it almost makes me wonder a little bit, do folks think that my prayers are any more powerful or that my call to ministry makes my prayers um, either stronger or more able to get God's attention? Here as Jesus teaches us to pray, he calls us to pray. It's a reminder that all of us as God's children receive the same call to prayer. We're called to talk to God, to be in relationship with God, to bring things up to God in prayer. Jesus not only teaches us to pray, he calls us to pray as well. You can quickly see in our text today how this bold act of prayer leads the Christian to action, to participate in God's love, peace, and justice taking shape in our world here and now. It's a reminder, friends, that prayer is uh, a prayer is not just empty words, but a bold statement of identity, but also commitment to God's purpose. I want us to take yet another look at Luke's prayer to see what this looks like line by line. When we pray, Father, hallowed be your name, we commit to sharing God's parental-like love with everyone we meet. As followers of Jesus, we seek to show and embody God's hallowedness, God's holiness, God's sacredness to the world in everything we do and in everyone or with everyone we encounter. When we pray your kingdom come, these aren't just empty words, but rather a way of aligning ourselves yet again with God's purposes in the world of love, peace, and justice. We commit to this work and seek to make our community and world a fairer, more loving, and inclusive place for all of God's children. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright claims that calling God our Father in heaven means signing on for the kingdom of God and seeking daily to live into this kingdom. Let's continue. When we pray, give us each day our daily bread, we're not only asking God that we have enough, but we are committing to ensuring that all of our neighbors have enough, that they have what they need in their lives and in the community to both live and to flourish as a child of God. When we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone indebted to us, we align ourselves with God's way of mercy, giving, and grace. You know, it's pretty hard to be too full of yourself when we remember each time in prayer that we are in constant need of forgiveness. This also allows us to embody God's mercy and forgiveness, to seek to show that to each other and everyone we encounter on life's journey. Finally, when we pray, save us from the time of trial. We commit ourselves to help our neighbors in need. We commit ourselves to helping all of our neighbors in the various trials and struggles they face in their daily lives. The parables that follow show this call even further. If we trust in a God with whom we can bring up anything in prayer and relationship, it challenges us in all of our own relationships. 
It challenges us to be the kind of friend, parent, spouse, coworker, neighbor with whom someone can bring up whatever they are struggling with or going through. It challenges us to seek to provide the very sort of comfort, strength, and peace to the people in our lives, the very things that we seek from God when we call God in prayer. This kind of praying work calls for us to advocate for the, for the poor, for the oppressed, to stand up for the lonely and forgotten, just as we know our God and Christ is particularly for such folks. Friends, as Jesus teaches us to pray, he also calls us to pray. These aren't empty words. These aren't passive words. This kind of prayer is not a spectator sport. Rather, it aligns us with God's kingdom and emboldens us to action, to participate in God's peace and justice taking shape here among us. May this kind of active, embodied, emboldened prayer root our lives in discipleship. May it seek to drive us closer and bring us closer to God in relationship and fellowship, but also bring us closer in love and fellowship with one another as God's children. Friends, may we remember that we are called not just to pray, but to live out these prayers in action, in love, and in service.